Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What's up, guys? This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It is Monday, April 30th. Happy Monday. Just kidding. We all know Monday sucks. I'm Chris Hardy. Today, we have got some sweet, juicy history for you about the man behind the Meyer Lemon. So I don't know about you, but I feel like every time I go out to dinner, on the dessert menu, there is a Meyer Lemon something. Meyer Lemon Granita, Meyer Lemon Ice Cream, Meyer Lemon Fluff Cake. Meyer Lemon is super beloved by celebrity chefs. It's got this like delicate, not-too-tart flavor. People go apeshit over the Meyer Lemon. So the the story behind the Meyer Lemon is actually kind of crazy. Uh, There is one guy that you can thank for the Meyer Lemon, and his name is Frank Meyer. So Frank was this kind of mysterious, troubled guy. You know, he was a botanist, an adventurer, a food spy. We're about to find out what that means. Um, And he actually walked all the way across China to find this particular type of lemon, and then later was mysteriously lost at sea. So today we've got Vices and Keita Rao speaking with writer Daniel Stone to take us on this long, strange lemon trip. Let's start with this lemon itself. I very rarely stop to think about where my lemon wedges are coming from. What's a Meyer lemon? A Meyer lemon is a very unique variety of lemon. It is a natural type of hybrid between a lemon and an orange. That is sweeter than a lemon and more tart than an orange. It's also a lot juicier. So Frank Meyer discovered this type of lemon in China in 1906. uh, And he sees it in a doorway and he finds that it's far juicier. And that type of lemon is the one that's now in high-end restaurants and in the cocktails that we make or the tarts that we bake. It's It's a very sweet type of lemon. So chefs love it. This is not the conventional lemon you'd buy in just the lemon bin at the supermarket. Those are usually Valencia lemons. There are a couple different varieties. The Meyer lemon is more elite. It's shinier and usually yellower, and you'd use it to cook to make things that a normal lemon would be too tart for. Now let's trace this lemon back to the guy that it's named after, Frank Meyer. How did you first hear about him? I heard about Meyer while researching the USDA. Uh, Meyer used to work for the Department of Agriculture 100 years ago. He was part of a program of food spies. The government employed these men to roam around the world in search of crops, exotic foods that didn't exist in America that could be brought to America to grow uh, the country's economy, to grow better foods, more diverse crops, and really grow America's economy on food. And he has this kind of crazy story. Like he went to China, but he didn't have an easy time roaming around. It sounds like he got pretty rustled up finding this lemon and the other crops that he found. What is it about his story that stands out to you? 
Meyer was a very peculiar man. Uh, he was an immigrant from Holland and he loved to walk. He loved to walk long distances. So his assignment, which I have never heard this assignment given to any other human on earth, uh, his assignment was to walk across China. And the idea was that, you know, in China, a place that very few Westerners had really gone, especially inside, you know, central China, he would find crops that Chinese people had developed for thousands of years, but no one in America had ever seen or grown. Um, so Meyer was tasked with walking across the continent to just explore, peruse, meander, and had harrowing adventures while doing it. What kind of adventures? He was beat up. He was attacked by other people, sometimes by wild animals, by wolves and bears. He traveled from town to town, sometimes with a translator, sometimes not. He didn't speak Chinese on his own. And he was always after plants, just foods, crops. Tell me what you grow and how you grow it. And can I have some seeds? People didn't always trust him because of the language barrier, because of his skin color. But he'd continue walking he was often suspected of having valuable things. He carried a mound of silver with him that he shaved down and gave to people to pay them off. But, you know, his trunks were sometimes inspected or rummaged through or his belongings stolen. And he, he kind of soldiered on despite the indignities and the discomfort of doing this kind of work. It's kind of interesting to me that, you know, we've named this lemon after this guy who brought it over from China but that doesn't really recognize where it's from, right? Like we don't really look at this lemon and think of its origins. And and, and that happens a lot in food and, and agriculture. What's the culture around, you know, importing these kind of goods and, and kind of taking them in as our own? You know, it's important to, to note, I think, um, very few of our foods that we eat in our markets and our restaurant come from North America. Almost everything we eat is from another country. Apples come from Kazakhstan originally. All of our citrus comes from southern and eastern China. Uh, bananas come from New Guinea. This, you know, avocados from southern Mexico. This is true for everything. I like to say that our foods came to this country much like our families as as immigrants, and they were brought here about a hundred years ago during this era of botanical exploration. So Meyer had colleagues at the Department of Agriculture who explored Russia in search of better wheats or uh, the Caucasus region for better grapes uh, and brought all these things back. But, you know, when you think of the story of America, it's not often that our foods are immigrants also, but truly so few things are native to our country that we had to collect all these things and eventually brand them as our own. You wrote a book more about this topic, not just about Meyer, but about David Fairchild, who was his boss. What kind of things did you discover, and are those kind of food spy operations still happening? Yeah, Meyer was kind of the last in this string of food spies in this era. David Fairchild, his boss, spent about 15 years traveling to every continent in search of crops, and he collected avocados, he collected dates in Baghdad, he collected hops in Germany and mangoes in India and the Philippines. This was an illustrious era. You know, this is the golden age of travel because travel is new and people can get all over the world. Meyer's chapter kind of comes toward the end when this work is slowly ending. 
this was dangerous work for a person to travel all over the world, but it was also biologically risky. If you're importing plants or foods from the other side of the world, no one's really inspected these before. No one knows what kind of pests or insects or types of fungus they could bring with them. So eventually, after Meyer does this work for about 10 years, Congress passes a quarantine law, which requires all plants to be inspected. That's why when you get on a plane, you have to fill out that form that says, I haven't been on a farm or I'm not bringing fruit. But really, for about two decades, Meyer and Fairchild roamed the world in search of plants and foods that eventually transformed American agriculture and American food. Were Meyer and Fairchild sort of similar characters? What is it about them that lends their personalities to this kind of work? Well, they were both botanists who loved plants. um, So that made them a little peculiar to begin with, especially in their era. But when you think of, you know, the task of walking across China, it really takes a pretty unique person who can, you know, withstand the loneliness, who is willing to tolerate the risk and the danger. And, you know, Fairchild went all over the world. He was on steamers. Sometimes he, you know, traveled in luxury. And he did this work, you know, with with great risk and great danger also. But Meyer, you know, was a man who loved being alone and he loved uh, walking and he loved talking to plants. Um, And so he really had a life that is far more strange and peculiar than we see, especially now, but even back then. And I think Meyer's life, you know, how he lived, this work he did, and ultimately how he died in China um, is mysterious. His life is is you know, compelling. It's almost cinematic in the way that, you know, he starts in one place, has these harrowing adventures, comes to this enormous climax, and then this resolution of his life. How does Meyer's life end at the end of this kind of crazy adventure? Meyer had a challenging time in China, right? He finds a lot of plants and he's successful in his work, but he is often threatened and attacked. Um, He's robbed. He is alone most of this time. But there are bigger forces at play also. One, in 1911, China enters its cultural revolution that kind of results in the modern China. And right around the same time in the West, World War I is is starting. And so Meyer, who grows up this optimistic immigrant from from Holland and moves to America to, to be part of a rising country, he starts to see the world falling apart around him in the East with China, in the West with World War I. And he grows despondent. He despairs at the state of the world. And he grows very, very depressed. Uh, He has a nervous breakdown at one point. And you could follow this in his letters back to Washington, lamenting how the world is unraveling. And eventually, he becomes so despondent that he decides to leave China. And he boards a boat on the Yangtze River in central China, bound for Shanghai, where he'll catch a boat back to America. And on this boat on the Yangtze River, he wanders one night over to the railing, and uh, there are no signs of, of foul play. There's no sign of a struggle. Meyer just disappears overboard, uh, and his body is found the next morning by a Chinese villager who marvels at this man, this white man, and his shoes. The USDA considered Meyer's death a mystery. You know, a lot of, a lot of signs point to his despondence and even potential suicide. But the USDA had no evidence, nor did it want to admit that its agent, you know, might have met an undignified end in the other side of the world. 
So it considered it a mystery. And Meyer was given a funeral in Washington, and the mystery has never been solved. To read Dan's full article, go to munchies.vice.com and make sure to check out his new book, The Food Explorer. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.